All right, we're back. Episode five, Riding the Pine with the Lefty and the Coach. Tonight, we're going to talk about the NBA playoffs and uh, not real happy with the Grizzlies right now because we can't defend anybody. Uh, we'll go over that series, go over playoff Jimmy, and I'll be honest with what I'm watching right now. We may be talking about playoff Trey here in about a minute and 39 seconds. Uh, we'll talk about the Knicks and the Cavs, and that series is probably over. We'll hit Dion in Colorado, and that is just Wonderful situation there. Uh, top twenty top twenty five preview tonight is going to be Michigan, the Wolverines. With just, I mean, top five schedule, folks. Y'all are going to hear some just absolute giants of college football on that schedule. And then our top now there, there's Al. We got NCAA football soundtrack Al over there. Uh, Hail to the victors. Then we got our top 10 list of the night. It's going to be the top 10 coaches currently in college football. But to start off with, I'm going to talk to Steve Ballmer and the LA Clippers because you made a trade about now, I guess, four years ago that you at the time thought was going to take you over the top. You pushed your chips to the table. And hey, that's great. You did. You you traded for Paul George, who was a star at the time, and you got an absolute superstar in Kawhi Leonard. However, what you gave up was Shea Gildas-Alexander, now a superstar in the league, a draft pick that would eventually become Jalen Wilson. Yep. You gave up five other draft picks, first round all, and you traded them to the Thunder, who have the best GM in basketball. Now, those those pieces that you traded them, he's combined them, Sam Presti, that is, has combined them with Josh Giddy, Lou Dort, a possibility that you even could add a Victor Wimbyama to that team. Um, I, I think it's unbelievable. I think it's unequivocal at this point. The Clippers lost that trade. They've had now four years of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, and they've been no further than the conference finals. They've only made two, they've made three playoff trips, but Paul George and Kawhi Leonard have played on the court together 35% of the games that the Clippers have played in four years. You can't do that. You can't. And, And you can't turn around and say, Hey, we won. And Lou, let's top it off. You you gave you fire Doc Rivers, who Doc is a Doc's a top five coach. There's no doubt in my mind. Doc's a top five coach. And you give him, you just let him walk to Philadelphia. He's having lots of success at Philly right now, too. But look at the success he had with that LA team. It was nuts and bolts. It was Shay, Landry Shamit, Avery Bradley, Montrez Harrell. Tobias uh, Harris. Yeah, Tobias Harris, Avika Zubac. That wasn't a bad team. And you, oh, and Pat Bev was on that team. I, I don't get why you give all that up to quote, quote unquote go all in on Paul George, who had been had some injury history, and Kawhi, who had major injury history. I just don't. That, that's my thoughts. Right. So, and you're spending a lot of money on those two guys. You're spending a lot of money 
over a four-year span for, like you said, one run to the conference finals. And that conference final run was ended because of Kawhi Leonard getting hurt. To well, stay healthy. So to the Utah Jazz. So just back to your point about you get two guys, don't get me wrong, two unbelievable players in the NBA, two guys that can really go score the ball in bunches in some big games. But it goes back to you're playing an 82-game season and you got to win some tough late games in the playoffs with, like you said, two guys that have shown to have some injury, some so are prone to getting injured late in the season. Yeah, I, I just – I don't get it. I, I don't get why you leverage your – franchise future on two injury injury guys i mean i think at this point it's it's no doubt the oklahoma city window is wide open the Absolutely. LA window is closed and look at look look at where okc's come even from last season look at just the the, the strides that they have made since last season and the opportunity and the opportunity to keep building on the talent that they've established. So yeah, you have and a, they have 98 draft picks over the next three drafts, so, and they're so, all first rounders. That's right. So we have so like you said, the 2021 picks were via Miami. We have, like you said, Trey Mann, Josh Giddy. Josh Giddy is a huge part to the success of the Oklahoma City Thunder and is a great, a great kind of um, you know, point uh point. Uh, point guard slash two guard to Shea Gilders Alexander, another guy that can handle the ball and take some pressure and relieve Shea Gilders Alexander at time. Then, like you said, you have kind of a, a motor guy and Jalen Williams in the 2022 draft from last year. And then we forget Chet Holmgren set out this year. And I think Chet Holmgren is going to be making a huge, huge potential, um, some huge potential strides next year to get on the floor and be be a stretch four type player for the Oklahoma City Thunder with the opportunity to have a pick, a first round pick in 2023 and a first round pick in 2024. That 2024 pick is what LA gave them for that Paul George trade. Yeah, it's just, it, it truly, I just don't, I mean, maybe I get trading that to a team like, I don't know, a team that would screw it up, <clears throat> like the Knicks or the Nets or somebody. But you're trading it to a guy who, in my opinion, Sam Presti is one of the top – he's probably the best GM, but he's definitely in that top three with Danny Ainge and with Zach Kleiman in Memphis. These guys just know how to accumulate draft picks. Right. Why do you trade a guy who could be your corners, your franchise cornerstone right now? I mean, how different does L.A. look if they just – don't trade for Paul George. You have Shea Gilgis Alexander and Kawhi. And Grant, right. even if you don't have Kawhi because he's injured, you still have Shea. And yeah, you're paying. You haven't traded 22 draft picks for Oklahoma City. Yep. And is is Kawhi is paying Kawhi Leonard 176 million? Is it worth it to look at what's happened the past three years to know we got him for one playoff game this year? What happened in that one playoff game? They win the they win the basketball game, but the next three he doesn't play. What's their record? Zero and three. You lose him in twenty twenty one against the Utah Jazz. You win that series, but then um, you lose to the Phoenix Suns in the conference finals. But I'm just saying, 
They're 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 over when they lose Kawhi Leonard in the playoffs. And Kawhi Leonard's a superstar. He's a superstar right. when he's healthy. But what is that every fifteen games? Right. And we're not picking on Kawhi, or we're not picking on Paul George. Once you understand not. that, I think, we're I just think healthy. We're, I think healthy Paul George has shown he is still a top twenty-five player in this league. Absolutely, Kawhi Leonard is probably still a top ten to top seven or eight player in this league. However, they're never healthy. You made right. that trade. You gave up all that. You have zero NBA championships. You have zero NBA Finals appearances. Right, and it wasn't worth. Absolutely. And we're we're just trying to discuss and talk about how when you go all in for these big time players, you lose you lose your your um, kind of X factor role type players that you got to have to win playoff games. You can't rely on your superstars to win basketball games. You can. I mean, obviously, you you can you can rely on them. But look at last night. I know we're going to talk about it here in the next segment. But look at the Lakers and look at some guys that were stepping up for LeBron. I know LeBron has a heck of a game, but you have a guy like Reeves. You have a guy like Dennis Schroeder, plus 24 in the plus minus. You have a guy like Hachimura. So you have some of those role players that are stepping up and making big plays. Now, I don't think the Clippers have those role players Besides, you know, to, to to kind of play along with the Russell Westbrook, and then has it's been Paul George. I can't even put Kawhi Leonard in that talk right now because he's been injured. Yeah, I hundred percent agree. And so we will actually move on now to that. Uh, this podcast tonight is sponsored by Gatorade, the trusted drink of choice of everyone from six year olds in their orange slices to professional athletes dumping it on their coaches when they win the Super Bowl. Drink Gatorade. What's your favorite? What's now? Do you do you refer to your Gatorades as the color or the flavor? I don't know. I, it's kind of a both thing, to be honest. I can I can go both ways with it. Um, I think if most of the time, though, I, I do just refer color. To be honest, I probably don't refer as much. Uh, right, red, yellow. Me. Cool yeah. blue is the is the is kind of the navy blue or the the royal blue, and then you have the glacier freeze. Remember, is the light blue. Yeah. So I normally I normally those are two of my favorites: the cool blue versus the glacier freeze. Normally, I say I'd like a kind of the the light blue for glacier freeze, and then just regular blue for the uh, for the cool blue. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's just uh, so now we'll get on what we were kind of going to talk about in this in the Grizzlies uh, Lakers game as my direct TV has now decided to go out during the freaking game. So what just happened? So you can tell me. Uh, so ice, ice tray just hit a shot. Three pointer ice tray hits a three pointer to put ATL up two with 1.9 left yeah, Okay, in so, Boston. Uh, yeah. So we can probably go ahead and uh, just discuss the fact that Trey Young uh, might have gone playoff Trey tonight. He has 38 on the night, but we'll get to that. Talk about Memphis and LA first. Um, we're both Grizzlies fans. Uh, I, I, I can say last night was one of those games where you just, you keep watching, 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 think, okay, we're, we're, we got this. We're going to pull away, but there was just always something in the back of your mind that thought, no, we're not like, this is going to be bad and it's going to end bad. And it did. we let D'Angelo Russell, we're up seven, 97, 90. 
Um, and we let D'Angelo Russell get hot. Um, it, it just was a uh, it's a tough loss to handle for Memphis. I, I personally, I don't think they recover from it. That was just, just one of those losses that that's going to linger for you. And I really feel like Memphis probably knows they let that one get away. Absolutely. And the three threes that uh, D'Lo hits are all in that third quarter. The only three threes that D'Lo all makes. Fourth quarter. All in fourth quarter. Fourth, sorry, yeah, fourth quarter, fourth quarter, my bad, fourth quarter when we're up seven and D'Lo goes back-to-back-to-back possessions hitting three straight three-pointers. So that was, a, that was a tough one to come back from for sure in that fourth quarter. You know, it, it was, and, and I just – I look at it and, and you, you got to think that the Grizzlies just let one get away last night. They truly just let one get away last night that they should have won. That you know, you get that you get the performance you need from Devin Bain last night. Right. He goes off for 32 or 34, whatever it may have been. He had 36, 36 on 13 from 29 from the field. But you needed you needed him shooting the ball. You needed him. You probably we probably needed him getting four or five more shots, really, in this game. We needed him to make four or five more. I mean, you what, three for 13 or three for 14 from three? Yeah. Three, three of 12, three of 12, so 25%. I, I just – I don't know. I, I look at how poorly, really, the Grizzlies play in stretches. You know, you, we talked about it earlier. Granted, they didn't have as bad of a first quarter. I mean, I guess that was an accomplishment. They scored in double digits this time, but – they're still down, what, seven or eight at the end of the first quarter. They, of course, yep. hit the big run like they've hit the last four games. They hit that big run with about six minutes to go in the second quarter. And I don't know what it is about this team, but they can't seem to match that. They can't ever seem to match that intensity because they're dead flat in the third quarter and they struggle in the fourth. And I just I, – I'm I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's coaching. I don't know if it's – they're exerting all their energy. I have no clue, but whatever it is, they got to figure it out tomorrow night. Well, thank goodness they're coming back home. But like you said, if we could put together just four second quarters, what I mean by that is if we could play like we do in the second quarter for four quarters, we wouldn't be in this boat. We would be probably sitting at a 3-1 lead right now. And we we, we – we ended that second quarter on that 14-1 run. Second quarter is when Desmond really got going, um, really kind of got the mid-range going. And uh, we just, you know, I wrote, I wrote some notes about that game. <laughs> and it's so simple. It's, I wrote, Grizzlies have to value stops and late-game rebounding. And I put a star by, you need to value stops after made baskets. Yeah, I agree 100. percent I, I just I, I think right now the Grizzlies are just they look they'll score and then they'll let the Lakers get out in transition and just kill us. Right. I saw AD made a lot of great outlet passes. We would score. They would quickly outlet outlet the ball to Reeves. They would put quickly outlet the ball to D'Lo. But that's the you know you got to have some initiative to say all right guys we got to step up after we score. We got to step up and just try to figure out a way to get a stop in some way. And to be honest, I think, I think really in this game five coming up, we've got to try to, I think, get back to shrinking the floor, 
and really forcing the Lakers into some late clock, deep shot situations in the in the shot clock. I know Rui has hit some shots, uh, but I think you gotta you gotta live with him making some shots in the game five. In game five, you can't let LeBron get to the rim, and you gotta try to limit uh, Russell or uh, D'Angelo Russell off the off the uh, um, stagger pick and rolls. Gotta gotta limit those those two plays on uh, tomorrow night in in the FedEx Forum. Well, and you know you're coming from a coaching background, you can address this a little better, but all during the broadcast, you kept hearing Stan Van Gundy talk about it. The Grizzlies struggling with that stagger screen up top. And from my – I think yeah, you and I talked about this earlier today even. It seems, it seems like we're so scared to get beat on an Anthony Davis roll or a step out from Reeves that we're not – we're right. not, you know, I guess, you know, valuing, you know – I don't know valuing may be the right word, but we're we're not respecting who the point guard is that he's going to turn that corner and hit LeBron on a drive or whoever right. stands in the corner for three. I, right. I think we're we're almost fearing Anthony Davis and whoever that screener is so much that we're forgetting there's a point guard sitting there. Absolutely. If you give Peyton Manning five five plays of the same defense. Even if the first two or three plays don't work, by play four and five, he's going to figure out and know what to do against that defense. It's the same thing with the Grizzlies. I think the Grizzlies have got to try to shake up a little bit of their defense when it comes to that pick and roll. We've been playing it very conservatively. We've been allowing D'Angelo. We've been allowing Austin Reeves to come off that pretty cleanly and because we've been playing zone coverage, dropping our big, like you said, to protect against that Anthony Davis role. I think we got to try to, you know, extend our defense when it comes to, you know, LeBron and D'Lo and try to make them get the ball out of their hands early. Yeah, I agree. Definitely in that – I mean, think about in that last play, we've got to run somebody at LeBron and make him give the ball up. Right. You got, you got to, you got, look, if Rui hits a shot in the corner, if Austin Reeves hits a shot at the wing, I live with it. But I'm not, I'm not letting LeBron, I'm not letting LeBron beat me because if LeBron beats me, they got the momentum. You know what I mean? LeBron's got, LeBron has got the belief. And when LeBron has the belief, everybody around him has the belief as well. Correct. So, you know, we've talked about this and, you and I have had discussions on this. We had it last night. I've had it with a couple of my buddies as well. What is next for the Grizzlies? Because, I, as I said, I don't think they're winning Friday night in Los Angeles, if they even win tomorrow. Um, what's next for this team? I mean, you and I have talked about I think number one is Dylan Brooks has to go. I don't know where he goes nor care where he goes, but Dylan Brooks has to go because he's a hindrance on this team right now. I think you got to find we've got to find a consistent shot maker. I mean, we're pretty much at times playing four on five out there when Dylan's out there, to be honest. And, you know, Dylan actually. And let me let me let me say this. I'll stop you there because I don't want people to think I'm so down on this team that I think we're just the worst team in America. 
Brandon Clark and Steven Adams not being with this team right now and healthy make a massive difference because I'll tell you, Brandon, you throw Brandon Clark at LeBron, he can guard LeBron. He can stay with him, and Brandon Clark can jump out of the gym. Right. And then you have, you have really, you have Steven Adams who think about some of those rebounds that we could have gotten in that late game situation. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure I remember one when the game was tied and the Lakers got a foul off of one. Anthony Davis yeah. got Anthony Davis got one of those rebounds. I was watching that play and I was thinking, you know, Steven Adams is in this game. A lot of these late game rebounds that they're getting to give themselves an extra possession or an extra shot. Steven Adams is getting those. Correct. So, so that's a huge that you gotta you're right. The the Grizzlies are down some huge pieces. And Dylan's given a lot for this team. We're just we're just trying to just brainstorm and think about what can the Grizzlies do to be a better team tomorrow, and what can the Grizzlies do to be a better team next season. Well, I think, I think it starts. I think it starts with maybe finding someone else that can go along with Ja and Desmond when it comes to stretching the floor. That might be. Luke well, that's got to start tomorrow night with number 13 in, in whatever color the Memphis Grizzlies wear because Jaron Jackson has to be better. There is absolutely no excuse for how bad he has played for three games now. Right. But I will say last night he got a couple big defensive plays. We just need him offensively to really establish himself. Correct. We, need him, we need him offensively to play like he did in that game one. We need him to get that ball in the mid post and just go to work and say that I'm here in the NBA playoffs against the Lakers on the big stage, and I'm here to, with my back to the basket, go to work and score some physical tough baskets. Yeah, now watching, I'm sitting here watching the replay of the Trey Young um, three to take the lead. Uh, There's a great play call by Quinn Snyder. I think Doug Collins used that play call. I think that's get the ball to Michael and everybody get out of the way. <laughs> that's kind of what it looked like. Yeah. So I I can't wait to watch the uh, the Coach Snyder press conference. But yeah, that was get the ball to Trey and everybody go to the corner. Yeah, that's that's what you call put four guys on one side and you say Trey, go make a shot for us. Sometimes that's the best coaching you can do. Yeah. Um. And we'll move on since we just saw Trey Young just take a game over. We'll talk about a guy absolutely taking a game over last night, uh, Jimmy Butler. Uh, one of the best playoff performances I've ever seen. I'm just what they're down nine with what four minutes to go, and and it was one of those. Look, everybody, hop on the cape because I'm going. I'm taking this thing, and he uh, he did. He ends up with 55. Or 56. He played, he had 56. 56 on 41 minutes. I think it was the second highest scoring game in playoff history where the game didn't go to overtime. Um, Just a absolute cinematic performance from Jimmy Butler. And uh, Al, do you think he's, do you think he's one of the top five playoff performers of all time? You, I mean, you, are you talking about last night? Last night's game? No, I mean just Jimmy Butler in general. Oh, J- Jimmy Look Butler at in what general. This guy has done in like the last three or four years in the playoffs. He's just taken games over. He is literally the reason the Heat were in the finals in the bubble. He's the right. reason they got to the Eastern Conference Finals last year. 
and he looks to be the reason they're going to be the number one seed this year. I think we got to start thinking this kid may be one of the top playoff performers of all time. Obviously, Michael's one on that list. I think Ron's probably two on that list. Right. But I was go ahead. Go ahead, Rob. But I mean, I think I really think you've got to look at this, these performances by Jimmy Butler and say, man, when the lights are the brightest, this kid comes to play. Right. Well, last year, so I would the tough thing is he's having look, he's having some of the best games ever in NBA playoffs. He really is. When you when you compare to the games that Kobe had, the games that Michael had, the games that um, some of the greats have had in the NBA playoffs. So the, 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 the big thing that I'm looking at, though, he just he needs to get that. He, you know, unfortunately, we live in a society where he has some of these amazing games, but no one is going to put him in the same in the same category as a LeBron or as a Michael Jordan or as a Larry Bird until he's won an NBA championship. But I'm looking at two games last year against the Boston Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals. We have two 40-point games in one series. Two 40-point games in one series. There's not many people who have done that. Well, and I I wonder, you talk about that, you talk about that series against Boston, you know, he – gets on that run basically by himself, basically doing exactly what he did last night. And he misses a three that would have all but won the game. How he's got he's got to take that shot. He's got to you got you got you got I said it that I said it when he did it. I said that's a great shot for him. I, I think my question is how differently do we look at Jimmy Butler if he hits that shot? That would have been at that point then two finals in four years. He's basically dragging teams both times by himself to the finals. I mean, is he already I, in that conversation before? I think he's now is I think I think the Heat being the eight seed and taking Milwaukee, and looks like they could beat them. It looks like they could beat them in five. They got to win, they got to win in Milwaukee, but it looks like they could potentially win at home in game six. I think you're looking at a a, a, an oper- a huge opportunity for him, even if he makes you know an Eastern Conference Finals. If he does it as an eight seed, you're looking at some things that have never been done before. Well, and again, this goes back to my point. We talked about it on one of our first episodes. I brought this point up, and I'm starting to think I was correct. The Heat sandbagged. They sandbagged that first play in game, so they didn't have to play Boston. They right. let Atlanta beat them, so they knew – and again, maybe maybe I'm looking too much into that, but I mean, you look at it. Milwaukee's a lot better matchup for for anybody than Boston, right? Now, and, and then it, you I mean, and, then, and then you have the. I mean, I'm not going to say it's a good. I mean, it's a good thing for the Heat. You don't wish anybody to get hurt, but Giannis getting hurt in Game One that was a huge, huge part of, the heat. Of, of, of of the Heat getting that win. It basically, I, I know. I know it they lost. Gets them game two and three, right? And I know they lost Tyler Hero, but Jimmy and Butler Oladipo. is right, and 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 Victor Oladipo. But Jimmy Butler is putting that team on his back, and I think you have. I think losing those two guys as good as they are, 
I think when you have a guy like Jimmy Butler who can just score and defend at the level he can do that at, and you put him with a Bam Adebayo, and you have you still have a uh, a really good point guard in Kyle Lowry. You have you have three guys still that can really get the job done. Well, and then you have Struss and Martin as well, and I think they're right. both great role players. There's your role player right there, guys that can make shots. You have Martin that can defend and handle the ball. So I think they're going to be a tough out. I think they're going to win this series. I think they beat the Bucks. And I think moving on to um, the Eastern Conference semis. I do too. And obviously they get another – I'm not going to say it's favorable, but you're getting probably New York. I mean, you're not getting Philadelphia or Boston. You're going to let them beat up on each other. By the way, I think that is going to be an – and, yes, I'm still picking Boston to win. I think I that agree. is going to be a heck of a series between Philadelphia and Boston. What, that I mean, will be. That's going to be great. It. You got Doc Rivers coaching against the team he won an NBA championship for. Now he's trying to do it for Philadelphia. And I mean, it's one of those old school rivals. It's Philadelphia and Boston. Um, I think it's going to be a great series. And then you that's get going to be a slugfest for sure. I mean, we just look what Jimmy Butler did in Miami. What is he going to do when he steps into Madison Square Garden? Is he going to score 60? Is he going to score 70? I mean, I don't at this point, I don't know what this guy cannot do. I think the only thing left to talk about on this one is, you know, Giannis still has a triple double last night. Let's just not forget about it. He still has a triple double. Do you Coming think Giannis, off the yeah, do you think Giannis can put this team on his back and just say, All right, I'm just truly not going to let us lose? Well, it looks like last night he's gonna have to if 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 the Bucks can't make shots the way the way they did last night. He's going to have to make, be making all the plays for them. The 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 Bucks have got the Bucks are the Bucks play their best when guys around them, obviously like any other team, are making shots. So, but 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 the Bucks are really good when they have other guys around them making shots. But when they're not, Giannis has to do a lot. He has to make up for a lot on that team. So. He's got to have some guys around him step up if they're going to win. I don't think Giannis – see, Giannis, you can let Giannis have a triple-double and they still lose the game. I, I tend to agree there as well, that you just – you really can't – I mean, the only thing I think – you can't let Giannis go have a Jimmy Butler game. I don't think you can right. have 50, but, I mean, I think if, if he has some crazy stat line like 30, 15, and 11, like, you can probably survive that. Yeah, you can still win that game for sure. You just can't let a, you know. Now, you, you can't, can't let him have 50, 19, and 18. Yeah, you can't let a Chris Middleton or a, or a, uh, a Drew Holiday type player, you know, make a lot of plays. And or, Brooke Lopez is playing great in this series. And Brooke Lopez. Games. Right. He's been one of their most consistent players. But just a uh, one of the best platforms I've ever seen. Incredible. Um, you know, I kind of wanted to touch on Knicks' chasm. To be honest, that series has kind of turned into a sleeper. The, the Knicks have just completely taken over, and it looks like they're going to be advancing. I think we hit Boston, Atlanta tonight, which is not one I'd be – I thought we'd be talking about, but Trey Young just absolutely goes nuclear over the last about four minutes of that ballgame and, and takes it over and does what he knew he would have to do to win that game. And now they force a game six back in Atlanta. The Cavs have really surprised me. 
just they just haven't they just haven't looked like themselves, you know. No, they haven't at all. They haven't at all. But you know, they're a young team. They they're an extremely young team with some really exciting pieces surrounding Mitchell with both Garland and Mobley. Right. However you want to say it. So moving on now, we're going to talk a little bit about Dion and Colorado. Obviously, their spring game this past weekend, they have, I think, 40-something thousand people there. It's snowing. Like, the conditions weren't great. But after the game and up until today, they have 24 players now in the transfer pool, which, I mean, I can understand five or ten maybe. Obviously, Dion comes in saying he's bringing his own baggage and it's Louie. Probably not the smartest thing to say, but that's just my thoughts on it. But they have 24 enter the portal. The biggest one, obviously, the receiver. I, I can't remember they, how you And they it. actually they – they have 31 since April 15th. Okay. And you, you can probably give me the name of the receiver, but the kid who had the huge spring game, he goes into the portal. Montana Lamonius Craig. Yeah, I knew it had Lamonius or something like that. I wanted to make it easy. He was their he was their leading leading rece- or leading uh, receptions guy last year. Yeah, he had like twenty three, which is absolutely awful. But that's neither here nor there. For a team leader to have twenty three is pretty bad. But whatever, they were also like two and ten, so not really a shock. One and eleven. <laughs> oh, gosh, I tried to give them a win. I think that only win was against Cal in overtime. So. You know, I, I don't. I don't see a huge problem with it. I, don't worry. It don't get me wrong. I think it's a little bit concerning. But and this is a guy who came in, like I said, said he's bringing his own bags, and they're Louie. Like he knows how to use this transfer portal, and he'll fill those spots. I, I think the thing that. I look at with this Colorado situation. I think a lot of people are thinking, oh, if he only wins four games this year, that's a failure. Or if he only wins five games, that's a failure. If he wins five games, he needs to be coach of the year for the for the nation. Like their schedule is absolutely brutal. And that team was awful last year. They were absolutely terrible. Now, he's got some good pieces. His son is a very, very good um He's a good quarterback. I'm not going to sit here and say he's a very good quarterback just because I hadn't seen him against equal competition. Travis Hunter is a is a great player. There's no doubt. Travis Hunter is going to play on Sundays. Cormani McLean, the kid they got from down in Florida, is going to play on Sundays. You know, that'll be their starting – that'll be two of their starting corners. So they're going to have pieces, but I don't think they have the home, the whole team. What are kind of your thoughts on all this that's transpired? I mean, it's any. This is what every. I mean, I feel like this is what every coach does. This is what every coach does when they get a new job. They clean house. They get the guys in that they want to have. So, to be honest, it doesn't really surprise me to see this many guys going in the transfer portal. Look, I think I think uh, there's not many coaches out there that can bring some of the talent that he brought. Like like Dion has. I mean, there's not many coaches out there that can go get another a big Power Five job and bring someone like Travis Hunter along with him. He's going to bring in players. They're going to try. To be honest, I think this year they're going to be the type of team where they're going to try to outscore play out, outscore the other team. 
they're not going to have they're they're not going to have maybe the the depth that they need to compete. But I feel like he's going to bring in the some, some pretty big time players, and he's already shown that. And I think really this summer he's going to hit the transfer portal hard and really try to you know build the best team he can. The only thing that worries me is you got to have you got to have some guys on a football team that have practiced and played together for a couple months. You got to find that cohesion and you got to find, you know, some guys that have played together just so people can be on the same page and players and quarterbacks and wide receivers can be on the same page. That worries me a little bit when it comes to so many guys leaving and so many guys coming in on a short notice. I agree. I agree with you there. I 100% agree with you there. I, I just think it's, I, you know, it's just, I'm trying to find the words. I, I just, I don't see the, the worry that some people see with it because we knew it was coming. Dion right. told us it was coming. I don't know why right. we're acting shocked that this many people are leaving. It's not like he had 50 transfer out before spring. No, he kept most of that roster. We knew they were going to leave. So don't get me wrong. It's not great to see 24 leave, but we knew it was going to happen. It's like you right. said, he's going to hit the portal hard this offseason. He's right. going to play with what he's got this, this coming season. But, I mean, he'll bring in almost a completely new team next year. Right. He, he, like you said, he, he said his first press conference. And he cleaned house. He he cleaned out house with his with his assistants. He didn't keep anybody. Everybody on that staff is brand new. So Dion's trying to start fresh. The big thing is what's going to be interesting is how long do you expect him to be there? You know, it's going to be interesting just to see kind of what his really what the what three years or four years at Colorado looks like with him as the head coach. Well, where do you think his next step is? You know, because the the logical thing everybody always said was he's going to get the Florida State job. Well, Mike Norvell looks like he's got it rolling. Right. Norvell's got that program rolling in the right direction. So, to be honest, is it a SEC job that he goes after? Do you think it's the Florida job? I mean, let's let's suspend reality for a second and say that Billy Napier struggles again this year at Florida and only wins six games. Let's right. say Dion lights the world on fire and wins nine at Colorado. Right. Is Scott Strickland making that call? I think right. I think I think I think so. And I think Dion, I think Dion has got to show these next I think these next two years, even including this year, I think people are expecting him to win early. Um I They're think he's gonna have I think he's gonna, gonna have to I think if they go to a bowl game this year and he proves that he can he proves that he can win six or seven games. If who knows? Who knows? Bowl, it's going to be interesting. If they go to a bowl game with the roster they have, Dion Shador sent out sweeping declaration. If they go to a bowl game with the roster they have right now, Shador Sanders will win the Heisman Trophy this year. He's going to have to put up some big numbers for that. That's how bad they are defensively. They are NFL talent at two of 11 positions. I don't know if they're JUCO town at the other nine. And then their first game's TCU. TCU may hang 150 on. On the road. So that – They're going to get tested. Hey, commend it, though. I commend them. They're going to be tested early. 
So we're going to see what type of coach Dion is at this level, and we're going to see what type of quarterback Shador Sanders is at this level. So speaking of schedules that aren't tough, um, we're going to go to our top 25 preview of the week. Dun, 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 dun. Gotta hit that high note, Rob. Yeah. So uh, if you didn't know, or if you lived under a rock and didn't play and say football, that's the Michigan theme song there by Al. Just really good lyrics there. Um, Really, really good sounds there. I mean, I don't know how you're not in the band for those sounds, but uh, Michigan, Michigan brings some pretty good talent back from a team that goes to the playoffs, goes to, uh, you know, gets upset by TCU in the playoffs, but gets there, beats Ohio State, yet again wins another Big Ten championship. And, you know, Jim Harbaugh really seems to have this thing rolling right now. Absolutely. Uh, J.J. McCarthy this year. Bringing back McCarthy, you're bringing back Blake Corum, you're bringing back Donovan Edwards. Edwards. You're bringing back your two best running backs – and I know, I know last year, I know TCU wins that game, but there's no doubt in my mind that Michigan's the better football team than, oh. than TCU next last year. It's just you no, have McCarthy not, not throw, you have McCarthy throws a pick six. You have um, two pick the fumble, two pick sixes. You have the fumble on um, the goal line after the rever- the reverse touchdown. So remember, uh. I, was it McCarthy that fumbled that ball too going into the I think end zone? It was, I think it was Edwards who fumbled that. No, it was Edwards. It was Edwards. I'm, I'm pretty sure you're right. So you have literally three possessions just handing it over to TCU. And Michigan, if Michigan's playing Georgia, look, I think Georgia that night, nobody could have played with Georgia and beaten them. But I think Michigan gives them a lot tougher game. Agreed. Agreed. So going over Michigan's schedule, as we said, it's not tough. They play East Carolina game one. That's a dub. Play UNLV. That game would honestly be a lot more interesting if it was in Allegiant. At least we'd have something to look at. Right. Game three, Bowling Green. Wow, that's bad. Game four, Rutgers, the mighty Scarlet Knights come to uh, Ann Arbor. Game five, they actually finally have to go on the road at Nebraska. That'll be the first big Conference game for Matt Rule. It doesn't matter. Uh, Michigan's going to win that one. They go to Minnesota after that. Uh, yeah, no. I, I, PJ Fleck, don't, he, there's not enough fire up in the world to win that one. Then they get Indiana and in the fighting Tom Allens, who he'll probably give some inspirational speech and they'll get beat by 30. Then they go to play the fighting Mel Tuckers. The $96 million man who has parlayed one victory against Michigan into a overinflated contract. Then they'll go. It didn't fare well with them last year either. We had a little bit of a brawl in the tunnel. Oh, yeah, I forgot about it. And this one's at Michigan State, so it could just be a full-on fight. Then they'll 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 have a bye, and then they'll play Purdue. Then they go to Penn State. Now, that's 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 going to be – I mean, that's going to be the whiteout game. You know that's, that's whiteout. That's going to be an absolutely electric atmosphere Saturday night in November in Beaver Stadium. If you want to say they're going to lose one game, I would say that's the game they lose. Right. I actually have two games starred for them. I have 
Minnesota on the road, October 7th, like we talked about, and I have Penn State on the road, November 11th. I think they beat Minnesota, but I think Penn State, I think Penn State gives them a run for their money at home. I do too. I, I actually, I picked Penn State in that one. I think Penn State gets the victory there. It puts Michigan at that point at nine and one on the year. They'll go to Maryland to get a dub, and then they'll play Ohio State at home. I think they get that when they finish 11 and one. I still think they make the Big Ten championship. Still think right. they have an outside shot at the playoffs. Right. And whoever they're playing from the other division, they're going to win. So that's just yeah, how it is in the Big one, Ten. Yeah. Dude, the Big Ten, the Big Ten's a one sided, one sided yeah, division. All, all the good sure. teams are on one side. Right. So, so I think it, I think in a 12 and one record for Michigan next year sounds, Sounds like a pretty fair and realistic expectation. It's, it's crazy. We say 12 and one sounds realistic, but yeah. Okay. So that's how easy the schedule is folks. But, um, you know, I, I really think Harbaugh's kind of got that thing rolling. You know, everybody said he was going to get fired. Everybody thought he was going to take pro jobs the last two years. I think he's there for the long haul. I do. I think he's there for the long haul. I think he's settled and happy at Michigan. Right. I look at that COVID year they had, and I just look like, what in the world was going on with that year? I don't know. I have no clue. I guess they started, they started Joe Milton that year at quarterback. Yeah, that was when all the Michigan fans had Milton tough shirts. Uh, then he, they lost, I think, right. every other game, basically. Right. Like well, well, yeah. They, they, well, I think two and five. I think they only oh, played yeah, two they and played six. That. This is the Big Ten. So they played yeah. that schedule. And then Penn State was awful that year, too. So, yeah. Just, a, I guess, maybe a weird year that you just kind of need to maybe put asterisk by with some of these schools. Don't tell that to Alabama. Don't they claim well, the national championship. Just they like load the it. like the other 13 that they didn't actually win fairly if they claim. <laughs> well, Alabama was pretty loaded that year. Um, obviously, Mac Jones has the, the year of his the year of his life. And then he had a pretty good uh, wide receiver named Devontae Smith. So trophy. <laughs> so he had a pretty, pretty amazing year. But when I look at what Michigan's returning and I look at their schedule, I'm looking at, I'm looking at 47. Yeah. 47 returning touchdowns between McCarthy and between Corum and Donovan Edwards. So you're looking at their core big three coming back. Because they're a running, they're a running team. Absolutely. JJ throws for uh, two thousand seven hundred nineteen yards last year as a sophomore, but they are a running team. They are a get downhill, run between the tackles, heck, heck, run behind the center type type football team. They are a in the trenches type team, and I think that's what's going to really propel them in a lot of games. I don't think, I really don't think a lot of teams in the Big Ten are going to be able to handle their physicality. I don't know either. And I, I think now that we're on Michigan, I think we can talk about our first Heisman Trophy candidate of the year in Blake Corum. I, I probably, I, along with a lot of people, feel like he doesn't get injured last year. He wins the Heisman Trophy. Absolutely. And he's given away, he has 247 attempts. That's a lot of attempts. But look, he's given away, he's given away a lot of them with, to, to, to Edwards. And obviously Edwards. Edwards started those last three games after Quorum got hurt. What type of injury did Quorum have again? I'm trying to remember. I think it was, think it was a leg injury. If was, I'm it, not. was it a, was it an, it wasn't an ACL, was it? Wasn't it wasn't an ACL or anything, yeah. but I think it was a leg injury. Yeah. It might it have been a broken, be maybe broken leg. 
unfortunately. It was, some, it was something that yeah, moved or broken foot. Yeah, but as it, it sounds like he's going to be be recovering from that for sure. Yeah, I don't like think it, I don't think he played in the spring game, did he? Uh, if you're good, you don't play in the spring game anymore. Either. Right. I think Edwards did though. I think Edwards and McCarthy did. So they're they're Michigan looks like uh, they're going to be a tough opponent next year for everybody to to play against. Agree. Agree. And unfortunately, we're not going to know what type of team they have what, until, until like October, until, basically. Until <laughs> until I think November against Penn State. Yeah, I could say October because they do have at the end of September they got to go to at at uh, Nebraska at Minnesota. Right. And right. obviously, you can't just show up and be a scrub at those games. But right, I, I do agree that we won't know are they the team we think they can be until November that November trip to Penn State. Right, they have more depth. They have a better they their defense. We haven't talked about their defense, but I think their defense what last year was they were pretty stout. Absolutely. And I think I think just depth wise and just just to be honest, having better athletes and better football players that gets them through that that road stretch at um, at Lincoln, Nebraska, and then in uh, in Minnesota. Yeah, I agree 100. So last segment of the night, our top ten list, the top ten current college football coaches in the country. You can have your list. I don't really care. This is mine. So listen. Uh, I, number 10, Al, I think it's a guy that's severely and criminally underrated in Chris Kleiman. Chris Kleiman comes to Kansas State, who was three shades of awful the last, the, at the end of the Bill Snyder era. And that doesn't discount Bill Snyder or anything like that. I think he was a great ambassador of the game. He saved Kansas State's program twice. But he, he he was old. They needed new blood, and they got it in climbing. And, I mean, ever since he has been there, he has absolutely changed the trajectory of that program. They're now – you know, they win the Big 12 last year over TCU right. to get to the Cotton Bowl. And it just seems like, you know, they're kind of one of those teams to beat going into next year in the Big 12. Absolutely. And uh, they, they've gotten some big wins over Oklahoma. I feel like Kansas State has always been kind of the spoiler to Oklahoma over the past couple of years. Well, I agree. And, you know, at Climbing, I mean, he just got his team ready to play for those types of games. And, and that's, you know, a lot of people thought when he got there, oh, well, that he's just always had the talent, you know, he's always had the talent advantage because he was at North Dakota State. And now he doesn't, so it's going to be different. And, you know, he's shown that that offense he runs, that kind of shotgun split veer, really has just, I mean, it's translated. And, and and they've really they've really given some teams problems with it. Right. So they lose um Deuce Vaughn. Obviously he's gonna be a big loss next year. Oh, he's then. finally gone. He's been there for 12 years. <laughs> and then um, but they do bring back Will Howard. Okay, so they bring back the quarterback. So, okay. so bring back the quarterback. Um obviously last year they were pretty stout defensively. Obviously gave TCU a lot of problems. Um, in that Big 12 championship game. Um, obviously, TCU, they got it going in that fourth quarter. But I, I like, Kansas, I like uh, Kansas State, and I like the direction they're going. I think they're going to be a team in the Big 12. They're kind of building their team like an SEC team. They're, they're trying to win on defense. They're not trying to just outscore guys in the Big 12. They're trying to build, kind of like what we were talking about with Michigan, they're trying to build a team that is an in-the-trenches, 
hand in the dirt, hand in the mud type team, three point stance. We're gonna we're gonna own the line of scrimmage. Great. Number nine, Josh Heupel at Tennessee. What he's done at Tennessee, uh, you can't you can't understate it. What he did with Hendon Hooker, I mean, turns that kid who loses his job at Virginia Tech and can't start into the Heisman front runner till he gets injured. And even the year before, I mean, what he was able to do with Hooker after he finally came to his senses and ditched Joe Milton. And then we right. see Joe Milton in the Orange Bowl look like Hendon Hooker. But just the offense that Heifel has brought, I just think it's been – I mean, it's night and day from what Jeremy Pruitt was running. It's really – it's kind of a mix between – you know, that just why – it's kind of like the Lincoln-Riley offense. I think they run it just a tad bit more and take a few more shots here and there. But right, what are your thoughts on Heupel? I'm really big on Heupel. Obviously, um, so growing up – obviously, growing up in the past as a – in Memphis, as a Memphis Tiger fan, I've seen UCF come play at the Liberty Bowl a lot. And to be honest, UCF – UCF did not skip a beat when they went from Scott Frost to Josh Heupel. No. To be honest, to be honest, I thought um, I thought Josh Heupel at, at UCF, those offenses were even more dangerous. You have Dylan Gabriel. You have some of that speed that they had at running back and just the ability to every play, every play could, could potentially be a 70-yard 70 70-yard 70 touchdown, whether it be a pass or whether it be – you know, a quick, a quick dive play up the middle. They keep, they constantly keep you on your toes. They play fast. They're always getting the ball snapped in the fastest time of any team in the country. I think Josh, Josh Heupel is building a, a team to be, um, to be, um, to be reckoned with in the SEC. I agree. And, and, you know, you give them NIL and the transfer portal and that fan base, I mean, they'll, they'll buy into anything. Absolutely. And you, he already has a staple win in year two. You Correct. beat Nick Saban, you beat Nick Saban in year two. Um, he kind of has the Hugh Freeze trajectory a little bit, just of when it comes to, you know, beating Bama, kind of being that offensive coach. But I think, I think he's in a position at Tennessee where he can sustain that. Well, and he doesn't have – I mean, he's got to play Alabama every year for now, but that could change think, with Texas and Oklahoma. With, yeah, so. and I think, I think that can help you, though. I think, I think playing Bama every year I – know, I know that's a tough team to play on the road and at home year in and year out, but I think bringing kids in that really want to be at Tennessee, I think that's a game that you can kind of rally the troops around. You can recruit off that game, you know, so right. – I think I think um, I think Josh Heupel he was a home run hire, and uh, Tennessee they're going to be a tough team in the in the East for sure for Georgia this year. So number eight, that this may be controversial to some people, but I, I'll, I'll explain my point to everything. Number eight, Ryan Day. Ryan Day hadn't done anything. At, he has not elevated Ohio State. Now he hadn't he hadn't taken them down. But what has he done at Ohio State that is markedly better than what Urban Myers did? He hasn't recruited at a higher level. He hasn't won at a higher level. He's lost to Michigan. I, I just – now, saying all that, I think he's a great coach. I think you, right. give him, you bring him the place. I think he's got an exciting offense. I think he – I think the last two quarterbacks, he's been – he's tutored in Justin Fields and 
C.J. Stroud are markedly better than anything Urban Meyer was putting out when he was at Ohio State from a NFL trajectory standpoint. Absolutely. I think I think he's trying to fix that defense. I know he's brought in he brought a new uh, offensive coordinator, sorry, defensive coordinator last year um, from Oklahoma State. So he's trying to really build that defense back. Once he figures that out, I think I think Ohio State they're gonna I mean they're gonna win a national championship. I think Ryan Day can win a national championship. I know Ryan Day can win a national championship at Ohio State. He's look they <laughs> look at. They were a game away. The national championship game last year was Ohio State and Georgia. They had Georgia beats. They had the the the, the year uh, Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence is a junior. They beat. They go into the Sugar Bowl, and that's not even a game. They blow Clemson out of the water, and obviously they ran into a hot hot Alabama team that nobody was going to beat that year. But he say what you want about Ryan Day. You know the past two years against Michigan. But he's taken – he's had Ohio State in some big games and have, have won some big games already. Well, yeah, and, you know, you bring up the national semifinal this year. You know, it showed you. You give Ryan Day a month, he's going to find some game to, to put his – because, look, Ohio State's always going to have talent. They're never going to have talent deficiency at Ohio State. I think you hit the nail on the head there rebuilding that defense. You know, that was something Urban Meyer, I think, did so well, and it came from being at Florida, is he knew to compete with those SEC teams, he needed that defense. And I he had Luke Fickle with him. Yeah, I think Day got away from that a little bit, not much, but I think he got away from it a little bit and really went heavy on offense. But now, as you said, he's kind of acknowledged it, I think, as well. But, look, he can scheme, he can call a play, and if you give him a quarterback, he's going to just create matchup nightmares. But, again, I need to see him beat Michigan. I need to see him win the Big Ten to bring him further up that list. This year this year is a huge year for him, for sure. Number seven, Kyle Whittingham. I talked about climbing being I think he's one of the most – I think Kyle Whittingham is the most underrated coach in college football. I mean – all this guy's done now is win two straight Pac-12 championships at Utah. Yeah. I mean, that team, they play – you talk about a team that's built on defense, that team's built on defense. They're built on running the ball down your throat. Oh, my God, Russell Westbrook just hit another three. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, that team is just built to just grind you out. And we saw it in the Pac – we saw it in both games against USC. They defensively and offensively just wore USC down and out-toughed them. And Whittingham's been doing that for years. What he's right. one he's had at Utah, replacing Urban Meyer, has just been absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, they haven't missed a beat with, with uh, Kyle Whittingham at Utah. And then again, the transfer portal, we're talking a lot about the transfer portal, and then the move to the Pac-12. Those have been two big things to really help Utah grow their program. They had a great quarterback last year in Cam Rising. Um, obviously, you start off the game in the swamp at Florida. Florida plays their best game of the year. Without it, Anthony, Rich Anthony Richardson. Anthony Richardson. Trophy. They thought he was going to win the Heisman Trophy. Anthony Richardson plays his best game of the year, and Florida obviously got that win. The swamp's a tough place to play, but Utah, Utah, they are a team that never beats themselves. 
And that's one thing that Kyle Winningham has really, you know, prided himself in with his Utah Utes football team. Absolutely. Uh, number six on the list, Dabo. I put Dabo here. Dabo's won two national championships. No doubt about it. He is a great football coach. But this is currently, not, not over the last 10 years, not over the last five years. This is currently. And currently, I don't think – I think Dabo has lost a step. I think he went to DJ Uyunglele. Everybody – and D, look, DJ looked great in that one game he played against Notre Dame two years ago. But it seemed like when – Was that the game they won at was – no, was that, was that the game they lost on the road? Yeah, that was at Notre yeah. Dame during the yeah. Kobe year. Trevor Lawrence was out. Yeah, Trevor, yeah, Trevor Lawrence out. Yeah, that's right. Um, You know, I, I think – Dabo, and again, I don't think it can be understated how big of losses Brent Venables and Tony Elliott were. You know, those have been his coordinators forever, and, you know, he he loses them to head coaching jobs. That's a tough loss, so it'll be interesting to see how Dabo builds back with uh, Garrett Riley, the former TCU right. offensive coordinator, and what he does with who I think is one of the best young quarterbacks in the country in Kay Klubnick to be able right. to see what they're able to do there. Yeah, I like Kay Klubnick uh, uh, starting this year. To be honest, I really think Dabo wanted to pull that trigger earlier than he did. I do too. Uh, deep down, but I think Dabo, I feel like he maybe felt like he owed it to DJ and just trying to just you look know, as a coach, you want to give guys a chance to really go 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 play and play with confidence. And I think I think Dabo was trying to really instill some confidence in DJ, but. You know, it just didn't work out. And I think Clemson with Kay Klubinick next year, they're going to be really more willing to show all their packages and really show kind of what they can really do on the offensive side of the side of the ball. Well, it'll be interesting to see how Garrett Riley impacts that offense and what wrinkles he adds to them. Do they bring that more of right? You know, do they look more like Lincoln and USC or do they look more like Sonny and TCU? My right. guess is they're going to look a little bit more like Lincoln and USC. Than right. Did, and did, did we mention Brent, did we mention the loss of Brent Venables too? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah, yeah. So that's a – I mean, that's a huge loss. So, um, you know, it's, it's really these guys win with good assistance. These guys got to have great assistance to help them, you know, get to the national championship every year. Absolutely. Number five on the list, Lincoln Riley. I debated five and four on this one. Um, I Lincoln Lincoln probably the best play caller in the country. I think right now he's just struggling to be able to recruit a defense. I think that has cost him now. I know it cost him last year a shot at the playoff, and I, I think it probably cost one of those Oklahoma teams a shot at the national championship. Regardless of all that, the guys now coach three Heisman Trophy winners. Right. That's that's pretty elite. But again, I think defense defensively, he is being held down right now. So if he ever figures out the defense, I think he's a top two or top three. But right. if he figures that out, I, I can't put him over five. Right. I think I think right now Lincoln Riley just with what he's done with some of his players and the accolades they've had has been pretty remarkable. Um, you know, 
I'm trying to think of the last guy that's had three, three, um, three Heisman Trophy winners, you know, coaching. I would say Pete Carroll was the last in college. Would that be right? Yeah, because Pete, Pete had what? He had three and four years. Yeah, he had Reggie Bush and Matt Leinert. Yeah, Carson Carson Palmer. All back, all basically back to back to back. But I think right. there was one guy, the Jason White at Oklahoma would have been the right. guy in between those. Right, absolutely. So, yeah, but I think Lincoln. That random sports fact to it. I think um, – and then they lost to LSU, right? They lost to LSU in that national championship, didn't they? Oklahoma, yeah. Oklahoma, that, yeah. But uh, that, that was in three USC uh, shared the national championship. Yeah, with LSU. That's right. Oh, that's right. That's right. That was actually the year USC put it on um, put it on Oklahoma. No, because who, who – then who did LSU beat in that Sugar Bowl? LSU beat Oklahoma in the Sugar Bowl. Oh, who did USC beat? Who did USC beat in the Rose Bowl that year? Um, I'm trying to think. Was that 2000? Are we talking about 2003? That was 2000. Well, it was the 2003 season, but the 04 National Championship. Well, so 04 National Championship was. That was um, LSU, Oklahoma. That was LSU, Oklahoma. But then USC. Who did USC play in that? Because maybe they played Michigan. Because it was a split national championship that year. Right. The coaches and the VCS went to LSU, but the AP went to USC. Um, I'm trying to look and see. That would have been that 2004 Rose Bowl. Or maybe it was the – or maybe I'm getting my years – it, they well, beat Michigan. Yeah, they beat Michigan. Michigan. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because the next year they went undefeated and beat Oklahoma. Yeah, they beat Oklahoma yeah. like 55-21 in the Orange Bowl. They just yeah, 55-19. Yeah, they drilled them in the so, Orange Bowl. So, history lesson of college football there for you. But yeah, back to what I was saying, I think Lincoln Riley Lincoln Riley does need to win a big game. I think that two-lane loss last year, that was a that was a, that was was a a tough loss. Yeah, that was a weird one. That was a weird one. With Caleb like, Williams playing, that was a weird one. Yeah, so that's you know I think I think Lincoln Riley he's got to win a big game and get to the playoff. He's got it to really solidify himself in the top five over the next couple of years. Agreed. So number four, uh, Brian Kelly. I think what Brian Kelly did last year at LSU was absolutely remarkable. He he gets the big marquee win over Alabama. He gets a marquee win at the time over Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss, who I think were the Ole Miss 13 or 14 in the country. They may have been higher. They may have been in the top 10 at that point going into that game. But they so they have – remember they – so, LSU? Yeah. Well, LSU had just gotten blown out from Tennessee. Tennessee. The Tennessee blowout. And then they, they beat Florida. Florida. They were already they a running out of town. Beat Florida on the road and then beat Ole Miss. Yeah, and then I think beat Bama the like the next week. Right. So, but Brian Kelly obviously found found something in Jaden Daniels in that Ole Miss game running the ball. Yeah. Um, that Ole Miss game, looking back, that Ole Miss game really propelled LSU forward. It did. And uh, I think I think even even playing even that we I know you're a state fan, but I think that second half against State making some plays. Showing what their defense could do. 
because I really think state. I really thought going in that game, I thought state was the was the better team. Well, I did too, but I, I think it's what you said is that I think there were times Brian Kelly tried to get too. He tried to get almost too spread offensive with with Jaden Daniels instead of just letting him be Jaden Daniels, which is when he runs the ball. You know, when he's that true dual threat, and I think he, I think he figured that out at the end of the year. But and I know, think look, people were beating good, him up. People were beating him up pretty good to lose to a pretty pretty dang good Florida State football team. Well, at the time we didn't know how good that Florida State team was going to be. You know, he gets obviously blown out in the SEC championship, but Georgia blew a lot of people out, so that wasn't really a shock. I, I think they're I think that program though, I think Brian Kelly's got them going in a very, very good direction. I know you're extremely high on them this year. I think you think they'll be two in the West. I actually think they're gonna win the West. But I think I think I think I think just playing at Alabama next year, coming off a coming off beating them, I think Alabama reloads. I think they find a way to get that win. Yeah. Who is the uh who's the stud, real quick, who's the stud um who's the stud um linebacker that was a freshman last year? Carol Perkins. Yeah, what number was he again? 40. That's what I thought. I was trying to look up him on the roster. I think he, he's 40 or 45. But, yeah, he's probably going to win, like, every defensive award. I was going to say, did he change his number? Because I was he looking for him. He may have. But he was a beast last year as a freshman. And, to be honest, some of those plays he made in that, in that Alabama game were just unreal. Putting that spy on Bryce, Bryce Young, mm-hmm. that, that, that put – that really – to be honest, I've never seen Alabama really that kind of lost at times on offense all season. And Bryce Young getting getting a little bit uh, rattled. LSU had him rattled last year. So to answer your question, Harold Perkins did change numbers. He's going to be number four this year. Okay, so I was looking for him because I was looking, I was looking at forty last year or for, uh, for their current. I see him, Harold Perkins. Yeah, six one two twenty sophomore. Runs like um, a four four. Just unbelievable, unbelievable player. And you know where he's from? New Orleans. New Orleans, Louisiana. So it's just unreal what it's just unreal what I think Brian Kelly is going to be able to do recruiting and what he's going to be able to do at LSU. They're going to be, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with in the next, you know, seven, eight years. I think he's going to be there that long. And I think they're going to be, you know, having four or five SEC championship appearances. I agree. I, I think that I think they win a national championship in in his tenure at LSU. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, number three on the list, the guy we've talked about earlier, Jim Harbaugh. You know, we kind of went over everything with Jim. I, I just think what he's been able to build here in these last two years, getting back to his roots, running the ball, really building that team with, as you said, defense and just ground and pound people out. I think it's been his best thing he's ever done. Absolutely, and just. You look at you look at a team that kind of dethroned USC and Pete Carroll. Who was it? It was it was Jim Harbaugh at Stanford. So, um, and then obviously he he goes to the NFL for a little bit and uh, the Super Bowl goes, wins, three goes to championship games. Goes to a Super Bowl with Colin Kaepernick against the Baltimore Ravens. We have the brother, the Harbaugh Bowl. 
you know, Jim Harbaugh, he look, he's a heck of a ball coach and there's no denying just the success that he's had and will continue to have at whatever level he's on. Correct. Number two, he's the GOAT. It's Saban. You can say what you want. You can say he's lost a step and all, but the guy's won six national championships at Alabama. And he had a down. When you have down years and your team goes 10 and two, then you're still a good team. Saban has just, uh, he's completely rebuilt, revamped, and revitalized about four times where everybody said, the dynasty's dead, the dynasty's dead, the dynasty's dead, and he wins a national championship like the next year. So we've got everybody now saying, oh, the dynasty's dead. Kirby's, Kirby's beaten them. He's vanquished them. It's Mama and it's Nick. They recruited a level that nobody has ever seen. And he now has just continually gotten just amazing offensive players to come to Alabama. Be interesting to see what they do at the quarterback position, but it's Saban. He's going to figure it out. It looks like uh, – what's his name? Ty Simpson? Well, you know, today uh, Buckner from Notre Dame entered the portal. And, you know, Tommy Reese is the new OC. Oh, the new, new OC, yep. So yep. I think a lot of people believe that's probably where he's going to end up and he'll be the Bama quarterback next year. Really? So that will be – that'll be an interesting situation to see. It'll be interesting to see Saban with a new D.C. and a new OC. Yeah, and I think people forget – I think people forget even Saban – and the Bill Belichick relationship. Like, there's not – Bill Belichick is not the type of person that's going to come out and talk about another coach and just how good he is as a coach. He you has know, like only, three – yeah, I mean, he has like three friends. Yeah, and one of them is Nick Saban. Yeah, one and, of them is and he, he And he – look, <laughs> he credits everywhere he's been. He said – you know, he's like, thank goodness I had Nick Saban on my defensive court – as a defensive coordinator – or on my staff. So Nick Saban, he's, he's unbelievable. And uh, looking forward to see what Caleb Downs does. So it looks like he's going to be, play, he's going to be playing, to, you know, defense next year. Um, he was a two-way player um, at Mill Creek High School in Georgia. Stole the best player in the state from, 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 from Georgia. Georgia wins a national championship. The best player in Georgia Guess who comes in and, and gets them? And that's Saban. what I'm talking about. Everybody says, you know, Saban's off step and all this, and he goes in to the guy who, by the way, spoiler, is number one on our list, and he takes the best player in the state. I mean, it's so, just – he's that so, good. So, listen to this. Just looking at what he had in coming in next year, Caleb Downs, five-star. Caden Proctor, five-star. Justice Haynes, running back, five-star. Hey, Guess who- let, me, let me stop you. I bet the next guy's a five-star. Desmond Ricks, cornerback, five-star. Now Eli Ricks' brother? So, I don't know. That's a good – it might be. It might be because he played IMG Academy. I think Eli – I can't remember. But Eli, was was he at Bama and transferred to LSU or reverse? Was he at LSU and transferred to Bama? I want to say he might – it might have been – it might have been Bama to – it might have been Bama to LSU. He is the – a reverse. 
It was LSU to Bama, and Edmund Ricks is Eli Ricks' younger brother. Yes, right. So Elias, yep, and and he went to IMG Academy too. But so yeah, yeah, played for LSU. Sorry, played for LSU before transferring to Alabama. Now, real quick, the reason I bring up the reason I bring up Justice Haynes, I know we're not, or this is not a recruiting show right now, but we're just talking about Nick Saban and people thinking that he's down and out after going 10 and two, he goes into Georgia, Georgia wins a national championship and he gets their two best players in the state of Georgia, Caleb Downs, Justice Haynes. So I'm just, it's going to be interesting just to see, you know, the, obviously, you know, these guys still got to show and make show up and make plays, but it's going to be interesting to see what Alabama does next season. And I think we see them in Georgia playing again, um, um, after kind of a year not seeing them against each other, obviously LSU playing Georgia, but I think we see them in 2024 playing in Atlanta for the SEC championship. I agree. I, I think, I, I, again, I don't think, I think 2023, I think LSU may be able to take them, but 2024, I, again, Saban, I, I'm never going to count out Nick Saban. So as much as I say I pick LSU, I could change it between now and August to pick Alabama. So that brings us to number one, and he is right now the king of college football. It's Kirby Smart. What Kirby has done at Georgia, he's won two straight national championships. He's got a really good opportunity to win a third. I mean, they're just he's what he's twenty nine and one in his last thirty games. I mean, it's 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 an unheard of run he's on right now. Yep. His only loss being to who? (laughs) And so I just, you know, they are just on a run right now that I, I I mean, we haven't seen since Saban's teams had those runs. And, you know, Kirby was a part of those staffs. And to be honest, and to be honest about Kirby in this run, these games have not been close. These games besides, I mean, I know Missouri played them close this year, but. Look, these games have not been close. Georgia, from start to finish, has shown their dominance. And and I'll say this about Kirby. I don't know how much longer he's going to do this. I've heard stuff for now almost two years that when Matt Luke left that staff, it opened Kirby's eyes to some stuff. I I don't see – I really truly believe this, Al – if, L- if Georgia rolls off and wins a national championship again this year, I see a world where Kirby Smart retires. I don't think Kirby Smart's coaching in five years. I don't. I think I really – I think he's retired. I think he realizes he's made enough money, and he has, and he's won enough championships that he's going to be remembered as an absolute Georgia legend for the rest of his life. And, you know – they, they are on a heater like nobody else right now. And you know what? You know what they're going to say about Nick? Okay, this is a Belichick-Tom Brady uh, kind of little bit of the same scenario. Was, was Brady was Brady Brady because of Bill Belichick or was Bill Belichick Bill Belichick because of Tom Brady? Look at Kirby Smart and Nick Saban. Was Saban, did he have his success because of Kirby Smart? Or did Kirby Smart have his success at Alabama because of Nick Saban? I think 
I think Nick Saban would say the same thing that Bill Belichick said about Nick Saban. I think Nick Saban would say the same thing about Kirby Smart. They are not there in those big games, winning those games without Kirby Smart as his defensive coordinator. I tend to agree. But at the same time, I, I, I think it's kind of like the Brady-Belichick thing. Belichick would have eventually gotten two or three Super Bowls, without, even without Brady. But he got six with him. I think Saban still would have won two or three national championships at Alabama, but he got five with Kirby or four right. with Kirby. Right. You know, Kirby, he learned everything from Nick. He learned how to recruit. He learned how to run a program. He learned how to do this and that and that. And, and I just – but I think where they're wired differently is this isn't Kirby's life. Yeah. I think Kirby wants to do something after football. Saban doesn't want to do anything after football. He doesn't know anything about football. Yeah. And that's where him and Belichick and, and even Brady, I think they're so alike. Yeah. I don't think they know anything. Else. I think Kirby does. And that's why I, I don't I, – I, I, I'm going to say it. I don't think Kirby's coaching in five years. And I'll be honest, I think if they win the national championship this year, I think I can see him hanging it up. I can. It'll be interesting. And, and, and that's coming from, you know, I've heard it from Neil McCready. I've heard it from Ben Garrett. I've heard it from a lot of the Georgia people. And obviously Neil and Ben close to Matt, you know, I've heard it from some of even the Georgia players that have said, no, we don't know how long he's going to be. Do you think maybe that was what makes him such a good coach, though? Do you think? Do you think the players? I, I do. I do think, think. Do you think? Do you think? Do you think he has? Do you think he has the ability to hold guys to a standard, but not put all that pressure on them? I think he gets that same level of respect and intensity that Nick gets, but it's not. He, I think he can turn it off. I don't think Nick can turn it off. Right. I don't think he knows the. I don't think he knows where the off switch is. I think Kirby found that off switch. Yeah, and I really respect Kirby, and he does a heck of a job just in his, you know, pregame, postgame press conferences and just the things you hear, the things you hear him say, you know, before games and, and after games, it, it's, it's awesome to hear. It's awesome to hear. So it is. it is. Well, folks, that does it for another episode of Ride the Pine. We will be back with you probably Friday. We're hoping to record Thursday night. We hope we're still talking about a possible game six back in L.A. By the way, just a little stat before we leave here, Grizzlies 2-0 in game six is in L.A. So just leave you with that for a uh, food for thought. One more thing. See you Sunday, L.A. See you Sunday.